Good evening, everybody. Greetings once more. Tom and KJ by your side, at least for the next 60 minutes or so. Keith, how are you? Well, are we by their side or are we in front of them? So, oh, it depends on whether they're in their car depends. or at the house. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm sad to report that we have now reached the period on the calendar where we are past spring football, we're past the NFL draft, and football season doesn't kick off until Labor Day weekend for FSU. Hmm. Preseason football is always a letdown. What shall we do? Whatever shall we do? Well, we'll look back first, and we'll talk about the draft and wrap that up. We do have a good show uh, coming up. Florida State is playing for a national championship this week in beach volleyball, which is uh, the newest NCAA sport. We'll address that. And and before you say that's that's inconsequential, I mean, that, that, a national championship, my friends, is a national championship, period, the end. And Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, will join us, and he'll probably share the news that he's – burdened with the task of going to the beach this weekend for work reasons to cover the national championship well maybe know, i don't know you know we'll Tom, somebody's got to do it that's true and uh, there's not much more exciting than the thought of tim linnefelt in his speedo at the beach right we'll save that for next segment nfl draft surprising news yes no i would say yes for you and for me that uh, florida state didn't have more guys get picked i know this has sort of been rehashed i didn't think it was going to get to five i thought it was four i was certainly in hindsight uh, surprised that it didn't at least get to three but maybe i shouldn't have been i'm one of the ones that thought it would be five didn't know who exactly it would be but yeah a little bit uh shock's probably too strong a word disappointed uh, i think that's offset by how uh aguayo was taken in the second round uh, by the Bucks, which I think is just a, an unbelievable pick. Um, so I, I think those two even out. And then uh, if you're reading, and I know we're, what, six days after Thursday or whatever it is, uh, when you read uh, USA Today or some of the other publications, when they start um, uh, giving grades to the draft, just about everyone is giving the Jaguars, uh, you know, top billing a a plus in terms of what they did in the draft, and obviously that includes Jalen. So, I guess the only other controversy that's come out that we've got to overcome with Jalen is what number he's going to wear. Right now, he's been assigned number thirty eight, and evidently he doesn't like it. And I don't know that uh, that's actually a controversy, but it is the sort of thing that. Uh becomes clickbait over the next uh, three or four months the silly season as i call it yep. before we get into the actual football yeah the roberto aguayo thing uh, that was uh you know applauded in some circles and, and panned in others i guess for taking a kicker uh, that early I, I was excited for him he's from near there i think it's a good pick uh, especially with the change uh, in the kicking rule well, in the nfl back, well, but i think it's it's very easy to criticize because it's it's unconventional thinking it goes against the well, norm well if you go back and look because of the way that, that tampa bay was set up they had an earlier second round pick this was really arguably their third round pick and and depending on how all that worked out it, it could have conceivably moved almost into the fourth round so if he was taken in the fourth round nobody says anything but because uh, Tampa Bay gets an extra pick, they, they change a few things, they quote-unquote move up to the second round, uh, it gets blown a little bit out of proportion, in my opinion. However, uh, one thing remains the same. He has never missed a kick from inside 40 yards uh, since high school. <clears throat> and given extra points, as you've alluded to, and th- that change, that becomes very significant at the next level. I think it's a very good pick. Of course, I'm one of those guys that uh, if you're a fantasy football, uh, what would the word be? If you're one of the people that plays in six fantasy football leagues, attic, I guess would be the word. If you don't have a life is what you're saying. I'm one of the ones that when I – I'm just in one league for fun with buddies. I don't pay attention to uh, necessarily fantasy football draft projections, i.e. don't pick this guy to the sixth round. So I'm one of the guys, full disclosure – 
I won't take a kicker in the second round, but I won't wait till the last round. And so every year I, I, I tick off the same guy, as a matter of fact, because I'll take a kicker maybe the third to last. Do round. you have a name for you? Because team? at the end of the day, if you got the top kicker in the league, it, it's worth about three or four points a week, which you, wins a couple of games. But every every year, the same guy looks at me disgusted. And I feel like that's what some teams are doing with the do, Bucks. Do you have a name for your team? Does your team have a name? Your fantasy league team have a name? It does. What is it? It is the T-backs. The T-backs. Yes. There you the go. T-backs. And now we've just, uh, I don't even know if this show airs late enough to have that name mentioned uh, over the airway. What, but. Fong was taken? It, it ties to T-Block, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> this is how we digress every year. Now I have a new I vision. will say, and, and do you even, pl- you don't play fantasy football? I do not. No. Do you even know what it is? I've heard of it. Okay. I, another rant, as long as you got me here. There's 12 guys in the league, same 12 guys forever. This is this is scintillating radio again. I know y'all even have meetings. Well, ten of them cha- site where you have boys' weekends. I've heard all about this, this. year's in Vegas. I think. Yeah, ten ten of the twelve guys change the name of their team every year. And so when you log onto the website, I have no idea who I'm playing. Like, just keep the name the same. It's like me and one other guy. I've had the same name forever. I know who it is. You know, so I sound old school like you in this regard. Uh, you, you look like you want to read just something. Wanna, you just don't want to give that name up. That's what it is. What I was going to remind our listeners, they've all heard this, but just remind it. Even though Florida State only had two taken in the draft. Uh, there were five um, undrafted free agent signings. Niles Lawrence Staple went to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Terrence Smith to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Brutus, Lamarcus Brutus to the Titans. And then uh, Giorgio Newberry, who we uh, thought might slip in there, even though he didn't have that big body of work. He went to the Steelers. Reggie Northrup to the Redskins. And uh, Javion Elliott has been invited to a rookie uh, rookie camp where if you do well in the camp, they will sign you as a free agent. So a total of well, eight, let's, eight kids total of eight kids on NFL rosters, quote-unquote, potentially, to begin this year. Well, and that, I was going to ask you that. We talked about how many guys are going to get drafted. Let's just look at that list. Uh, my thought would be that Javian, while it's a tremendous story, and I wish yeah, he was, he was not a candidate. I agree. He, he might make it through uh, and officially get invited to training camp. I don't see him ultimately sticking on a roster because of his size. But the other five guys you just mentioned there, I think it's a pretty safe bet that all five of those guys would either be on the roster or on the practice, practice squad, squad at, at a minimum. I, mean, I agree. Uh, and I and, mean, you know, it, maybe not, but I think that would probably be the case for him. You know, and there's a couple of them, particularly Lawrence Staple and, and Newberry, that if they get in the right system just because of their body size and, and now that it's for real, this is big time. You put put your big boy pants on, and you know you're a professional athlete. Both of these guys have the skill set, and and uh, Terrence Smith. The only knock on Terrence has ever been that he's a little small. You know, if he could put on some some size and maintain. Well, his I think you know. Quickness, I, I was hoping that Terrence was going to get picked because it would have been one more starter off of the 2013 team right. pick. If you look back at it, uh, Terrence was injury plagued at FSU. He didn't run a good 40 time. There was a time that he was suspended for a game, maybe in his junior year. So I mean, he had a lot of check marks or reasons that you wouldn't draft. Most notably, the measurables that he ran in the four six range or whatever it was. I forget offhand. It wasn't fast enough to merit taking him you know right. that, that's where nfl teams fall uh it is a blip florida state will be back there'll be plenty of guys that uh will be drafted next year and, I, in, I, and in years to come the I cupboard just, is not bare i just have to bring it up but you know ohio state had 12 kids drafted and lost six games in their three years together well the 12 breaks the record that fsu set for 11 but they lost six games in three years together and they did not win a national championship, did they? Yes, they, they won did. It as yeah, a they did. They won. Yeah, they did. So you're saying they should have lost fewer games? I just games. don't like Ohio State. Yeah, I think that's what you're really saying. I mean, if you counted up Florida State's losses with the 11 they had last year, it probably is a comparable number. 
But I didn't research that, so I'm not going to bring it is up. This, does this dislike of the Buckeyes, is it associated with Urban Meyer or does it predate the urban era in Columbus? It's absolutely associated with Urban Meyer. There Thank we go. We much. have identified the problem. Good job. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Tim Linnefelt, our Seminoles.com insider, will join us and uh, we'll pick his brain, uh, which should be a short segment that's right after this here in the front row. <laughs> Welcome you back to the front row. It is time now to say hello to our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld. But before we do, we interrupt this programming for a special message from our sponsor. Our sponsor, Madison Social, would like to remind you that this week's grilled cheese is inspired by Cinco de Mayo, the El Guapo. Blackened chicken, pico de gallo, white and regular cheddar. Enjoy it, folks. That's a special at Cinco de Mayo. Also point out, Derby Day is Saturday, and from 4 to 6, you can get a free mint julep or an Oaks Lily if you wear Derby attire which includes a hat, a bow tie, or Keith Jones' favorite seersucker suit, and he will be on display 4 to 6 Saturday shorts? at Madison Social. I'm sure that Matt Thompson would let that slide. That said, my seersucker shorts? Whatever. whatever. Say that, say that three in, times fast. If you're in seersucker, head out to Madison Social <laughs> on Saturday. Tim, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm thinking about taking my suit down to the dry cleaners to get it ready for Saturday. <laughs> there, there you go. I actually have a seersucker suit, but um, a seersucker suit. I've been eating well the last few months, and I'm not sure if it fits me as well as it did last year. So I, I don't know if I'll be able to break You're it assuming out. Assuming it dirty. fit you well last year. Well, it, that is true. That is an assumption. Tim, the draft is in our rearview mirror. Keith and I have already uh, discussed this. We didn't point out that we're happy that uh, it was no Florida State players that were pictured with a gas mask uh, at, the, <laughs> at the start of the draft. Uh, we did both admit to being a little bit surprised that Florida State didn't have more guys uh, selected overall. But that said, uh, what, what's kind of your takeaways now that it's uh, in the rearview mirror? Well, it was uh, kind of a lot to process for as uneventful as it was after the second day. Uh, there was a little bit of drama, as much drama as I guess you can have uh, around a top five pick. Uh, you know, I was just about sure when, when San Diego picked Joey Bosa, I was like, oh, well, well Jalen's definitely going to Dallas now. They need help in the secondary. He just seems like a perfect fit for them. Uh, why would this not happen? <laughs> and then, of course, it didn't end up going with the running back. So that was kind of a surprise. Uh, but, you know, uh, once Jacksonville had an opportunity to grab him, uh, there was no way they were going to let him go. And they basically said as much. I actually went over to Jacksonville on Friday for Jalen's introductory press conference and talking to one of their uh, one of their staffers over there. They were like, oh, yeah, we, we couldn't believe it. Uh, and they were, you know, they couldn't get up to the podium fast enough to make that pick. Uh, and then, of course, with uh, with Roberto Aguayo, it, it's awesome news for him and, and really cool to see. But obviously that pick raised a lot of eyebrows, particularly the fact that the Buccaneers traded up and, and gave up assets to, to move up in the draft and get him. Uh, certainly, uh, it's not something you see very often, but at the same time, you know, as, as other Bucks fans, I think it pointed out on, on social media, some other avenues, when, when you struggle as much in the, in the kicking game as Tampa Bay did a year ago, uh, that seems like a pretty big need, so you, you, it's hard to blame them. Well, and you know, we, we already mentioned that some people praised it. Some people, a lot of people have ridiculed it because it's easy to ridicule. At the end of the day, that pick will be judged ultimately like every other player who was drafted last week. You know, if you're a 10 or 12 year guy, well, guess what? It was a pretty good pick to take you whenever you were taken. And if you're not in the league in three or four years, guess what? We probably shouldn't have taken you. Or if you kicked the winning field goal in Super Bowl, you know, 61 that Tampa finally gets back to, whatever the number would be. Roberto's 45 or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll tell you what it, this draft has done for me, and it started last year really, I guess, with Jameis uh, going to the Bucks. Not that uh, there hasn't been a Florida State flavor with Tampa Bay several years before when they won the Super Bowl, but I'm a displaced Dolphin fan who, to be truthful, really has not enjoyed the Jacksonville Jaguars over the years because they they – showed up on tv instead of the dolphins when i was living here now now that's a you know that's common obviously the jaguars have been around for a while uh and the dolphins have been terrible since marino to be frank so i married into being a saints fan which has been a pretty good ride for a while but drew Brees is kind of near the end and i I suddenly am back in this place where i feel like i'm going to be interested in watching jacksonville and tampa bay play on a pretty regular basis now there's a lot of florida state folks there yeah no absolutely and and that was something else that i was talking to some folks the jaguars and i said you know it's but at the end of the day, they want good players first and foremost. But I, I think if it's sort of close between a Florida State player or a Florida Florida player or a UCF player and somebody else, uh, they're going to go with the local guy. And, and, and I think that's pretty, that's pretty smart. If you look at the Jaguars, you know, these last three years, they've taken a, a UCF player in the first round. They've taken a Florida player in the first round. Now they've taken a Florida State player in the first round. Well, you know, when you're when you're trying to build up some credibility uh, with your fan base and in the state and it's been a while since he's won some games, and you know maybe there's nothing wrong with, with taking guys that already have fans uh, in the region, especially if they happen to be good players already, like we know Jalen Ramsey is, and like we know Dante Fowler is. So it's interesting to to see that that dynamic kind of play out. I mean, it's the same thing with with Tampa Bay, right? That if you can you know get that sort of double whammy anyway, and then again, I don't I don't want to say that they're not trying to win because certainly they are, but if if you can do both. Uh, with the same pick, why not do it? Well, then why haven't the Jags signed Tebow? He's still available, right? Remember that? I mean, those rumors <laughs> were out there for a while. I mean, I get what you're saying, and I think there's some merit to it. Well, think uh, about how ridiculed they were when they did it. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I'm not, again, and, and it goes back to, you know, the good players and, and being able to produce and, and, you know, whether or not Tebow can is, I guess, another conversation for another day. Well, but you know, Probably not for this Seminoles.com portion of this program. <laughs> Tebow anyway. would be a 10-year NFL veteran if he would just make his mind up to change positions. But what, yeah, what so. do I know? All right, so the draft is gone. Uh, Keith and I mentioned uh, all the free agent signings, and then JV and Elliott, who's got, a, a, I guess, a tryout, if you will. How many of those guys do you think stick either roster or practice squad out of those the free agents? Honestly, I think most of them have a pretty good chance. Uh, you know, Even JV and Elliott, potentially. Uh, I think Lamarcus Brutus, uh, just because of his smarts, has a really good chance. I think Giorgio Newberry, uh, because of his physical skill set uh, and, and the way that he played by the end of his career, uh, definitely has a chance there. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of the linebackers, Terrence Smith or Reggie Northrup, if they, they ended up sticking as well. Um, I, again, I think a lot of those guys were pretty close to being draftable. I, I was surprised, like you said, the Florida they didn't have more guys drafted. Um, but then, uh, so, so that being that, that being the case, I mean, uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were at least able to make a practice squad, uh, just about any of them. Yeah, that's and that's kind of the same place we were from the first segment. Let's switch over. Instead of looking backwards, let's look forwards a little bit. Uh, although, in fairness, we do have to go over the litany of injuries with this baseball team right now. When I heard Lulu mention it the other day, I don't recall a time when Florida State had that many guys sort of missing in action. And to be fair, two of them aren't on the team right now, and Darren Miller and Gage West. But then when you start talking about Jackson Luke and and uh, you know Kobe Johnson and Voiles. Uh, Matt Henderson was out the other day. This was a team that that uh, was far from perfect uh, and had little margin for error, and now has has lost whatever margin for error it had with those guys out. Is there any good news on when those guys are coming back, or the or the prognosis? I, I haven't heard. It's it's been a while since, uh, since I've been able to get over and, and, and talk to Mike Martin. It, 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 and news has just been kind of quiet. You know, when when uh, Jim Boyles got hurt, it was 
it was sort of, you know, they, they wanted to wait and see because it sounded like that situation could have maybe been a little more serious than originally thought. It turns out he's okay and out of the hospital. But, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all, um, you know, given the nature of head injuries and, and how they can affect guys in different ways. Uh, you'd love to think that he'll be back at some point this season, but I don't know that you can necessarily count on it. Um, same with Jackson Luke having a shoulder injury. It's just a matter of, of how long is that going to take to recover. And obviously, as for a baseball player, you know, a shoulder is a pretty important thing. Uh, so it's like you can just rush him back or, or necessarily play through the pain if, if he can't be effective. Um, it's just kind of a bummer. You know, like you felt like the, the, the team was, was kind of coming through some things. Quincy Supporti was seeming to find his swing a little bit against Notre Dame, and then you get hit with all these injuries one after the other. The one thing you can say is that, I mean, it has been – uh, a pretty resilient group, um, and they, they went through some tough times earlier this season. Were able to to to, uh, to rally past them, and there's still time left in the season. That you know, it's not like it's not like all is lost. They have time to get guys back and, and maybe make a run for the postseason. But it definitely takes a little bit of the wind out of your sails for sure. The schedule is kind of interesting too, Tim. Uh, you know, six six non-conference games coming up. I know the the game today uh, against uh, Stetson has been rescheduled because of weather, but a weekend series with a non-conference opponent, another couple of midweek games against non-conference, which is usually the case. And then if you get through that and you chalk up some wins, you get up to that uh, 30-something level, uh, that last weekend series is going to be pretty phenomenal uh, in the way it sets up between Florida State and Miami uh, here in Tallahassee, don't you think? Exactly right. And so, you know, the question is, can you just – keep the ship afloat, so to speak, for the next few weeks. You know, don't lose a series at home to Bowling Green. Uh, can you not lose a series to Duke? Can you just, you know, keep everything afloat between now and that Miami series? And if you can get some guys back in the next couple of weeks, which you'd, you'd love to think you can, then that's up to be a, a pretty exciting finale with Miami, who I don't know if you have noticed is having a really great year in their own right. Uh, you know, been top five uh, and higher for most of the season, I think ESPN had them projected as a number two national seed a couple of days ago uh, that I saw. So uh, it should be a pretty exciting weekend. And, and you know, you got yourself in a position, if you can at least just hold the fort, hold the line, so to speak, over the next few weeks, um, in a position where you can help yourself in that Miami series and, and maybe not be able to hurt yourself as much. Or maybe, like, you know, don't need to necessarily win that series in order to um, – to, uh, to a secure postseason positioning. So you can help yourself by doing well in it, but it's maybe not quite as much pressure. I feel like we spend a lot of time picking at the flaws of FSU's baseball program over the years. And at some point, and I think nationally a lot of folks look at this, it's a side discussion on, you know, why doesn't Florida State have more uh, guys that throw 95, that sort of thing. But at some point, Eleven and his staff have to get some credit for <laughs> what, you know, despite everything here, we're basically saying if they hold the fort and somehow win two out of three against Miami uh, and, and don't go 0-3 at the ACC tournament, they're going to be a top eight national seed. I mean, yeah. when you think about who that team is and its parts and pieces, it's pretty remarkable, well, really. And, and how, I don't mean disrespect to years, the guys. And how many years? A lot that's of years been that's on. been the case, yeah. Well, and, and think about how many times it's been just over the last five, six years where we thought to ourselves, okay, this is going to be the year where they struggle. This is going to be the year where they finally can't overcome, you know, whether it's the losses to the MLB draft or, you know, the uh, the injuries or whatever the case may be, or not having the same type of pitching staff that maybe Florida has, something like that. And every year they win 40 games, push 50 games, they host a regional, and they have a chance at a super regional in Omaha. Um, you know, it, it's kind of funny the way, the way people are. It's you, know, they, 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 you want to have it both ways and say, oh, we're, we're not getting the type of players to compete. Well, 
I mean, you're competing or, or we're not developing those players. Well, you know, either, either you're not recruiting at a high level or you're not developing, but both of those things can't be true if you continue to win 40 games a year, you know? So, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I think you have to give those guys credit for, again, not, not only just the way that they develop the players, but to go back just to that sense of resiliency where I, I think there's something to be said for a culture around here. When you, when you win as much as, as they, they have and they do, and, and, I, and I know people kind of roll their eyes at, at soft factors like that, but I mean, you know, when's the last time this team – you know, didn't host a regional. It's been a while. When's the last time that the team didn't expect to be at least in the super regionals? I mean, it's, it's almost never happened. And I think when you have that standard around all the time and don't really know any better, uh, you know, that, that's sort of what you rise up to. Well, and I think when you look at it, uh, you know, you see a program like Clemson that changed coaches. And, and Clemson in the 90s, when FSU got in the ACC, really was the dominant program for maybe told the mid 90s. And then FSU uh, kind of ascended to the throne there. North Carolina played in the national championship finals two years in a row, and and they have have stepped back a little bit. Uh, yeah. So while everybody else ebbs and flows, well, right? And don't forget who your defending national champion is. Yeah, I was gonna say right now Virginia's been up. Florida, yeah. not that they're an ACC team, clearly up. And and Kevin O'Sullivan's done a great job there. But it I had, think it, it wasn't all that long ago that Florida was missing the NCAA tournament. Right. Yeah. It's it's it, it is has been an amazing testament of of what you get. Uh, on a regular basis. All right, uh, beyond left field and and just to the left is where the softball team plays uh, from Mike Martin Field I'm talking about. And uh, they, by the way, uh, when you talk about the national seed discussion, I feel like they've taken a a, a step this year, uh, maybe compared to the last couple of years, and they've been pretty good too. And I know they'll be playing Florida as as the show airs tonight. Um, Are they a lock to be a national seed? Or or, or what do you think about what Lonnie's done with her team there? Uh, I don't know. I I would be projecting a little too much as I said they were guaranteed to be a national seed. It certainly looks that way. I mean, if you look at what they've been able to do this season, they might be quietly having the most impressive season uh, of any team on the campus uh, here at Florida State. Uh, you know, four straight regular season ACC titles. Uh, I mean, they, they just don't lose. Uh, you know, they, they've, they've lost once in the last month and a half, something like that, or twice in the last month and a half. Uh, they took Florida. It was 0-0. They played extra innings. And they're actually going to play that tonight. I don't know if you saw. They're going to play a full game against Florida. Yeah, you play uh, a full game that. first and then make up a game that's already in the ninth in the, in the right, seventh inning. Right, make up like half an inning. inning. It's, yeah. it's kind of, I think Florida has runners on second and third. I, I have no idea how that's even going to work. And I guess it'll count, but it seems just totally bizarre to me. But, but yeah, I mean, when you think, of, you know, champions of the ACC regular season, pretty good chance to be champions of the ACC uh, in the ACC tournament. Uh, the fact that they've won as many games as they have, I, it's hard for me to mean they're, they're 42 and 5, 19 and 1 in the ACC. I mean, you know, good grief. I don't know. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I was uh, too big of a, a national softball scholar, but it's hard for me to imagine that there are, are seven teams better than that in the country. I know Florida's a great team and number one and, and the odds on favorite to win the national title and whatever the case may be, but Florida State has, has proven they can more than hang with them, and especially if they were able to win uh, at least the, the first game tonight, the full game. I think that'd be a, a pretty big uh, line item on that resume uh, toward, toward uh, hosting that feed. Well, Tim, next week, uh, what we want you to do, do some homework, and we'll go over uh, the, the top eight seeds in your mind, and it'll be uh, great radio. Yeah, and I'll, then the my, second, uh, I'll, I'll work on my bracketology. The second part of that is uh, we want an upgrade, update on uh, the uh, over and under possibilities of all the construction at Campbell Stadium being completed uh, by uh, the Saturday after Labor Day. Oh, boy, now you're really... <laughs> You're really getting demanding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he is demanding. Hey, Tim, good stuff. Thank you, sir. You got it, guys. Thank you. Our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. And, uh, you know, that's a topic we probably should get back to uh, and talk about. They're working uh, – they're not working around the clock on the stadium, but they're working two out of three shifts, I think. Well, they're working 10-hour days, six days a week. 
last I read. That may have changed, but that's the last thing that I read. All right. We'll discuss that and whatever else pops in our mind when we continue right after this on the front row. Back on the front row, a packed show as always. Hope you guys are enjoying it. We do this each and every Wednesday from uh, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. But uh, if you time shift, the front row is available on demand after every week's show through two convenient methods. You can hear it, uh, head to ESPNTallahassee.com and under the Audio Vault drop-down menu, simply click on the front row. Or you can subscribe to our podcast of the show by the via way, iTunes. By the way, guess what I did earlier this week? Subscribe to a podcast via iTunes? Don't be ridiculous. Okay. Went to Cairo. Went to Cairo. Visited our boys Bob and and uh, Austin. Uh huh. Came home with a new enclave. There you go. Kathleen is very happy. Did you get them to to you know monogram the front row on the left and right side, or maybe on the back, this, so we can get this, some promotion? This is Kathleen's for this? car. This is Kathleen's well, car. Well, she's so a team no, player. She is. She is. But uh, got a great deal. At least a, a wonderful license vehicle. tag. I mean, we got to th- we got to think marketing well, here. I Keith. understand. But uh, but uh, encourage you to head up to Cairo, uh, Bob and, and uh, Austin, and the group will take care of you. They took care of me. All right. Good deal. Well, hopefully our show gets to continue then. I appreciate your uh, patronage of, uh, of our sponsor. I do what I can. Yes, that, that's good stuff. Um, you know, we talk to Tim every week, and uh, Tim is the Seminoles.com insider, so he should know everything, all things Florida State. But I think you and I should make it a point to try and stump him every week. I you mean, think that should be the thing? Well, just at the end. I mean, we kind of throw curveballs like assess the softball team. And, you know, he's covering a lot of things. He might not be able to tell us who the second pinch runner for Lonnie Alameda is in the fifth inning of a 1-1 game. I think we should ask him. Should ask him, you know, who's playing at the four spot on the ladder for the tennis team as they go to Athens, you know, and you don't think so? I like I, I think I, like we, I think we could come up with something. Uh, and I'm, I'm thinking we you could, could come up with something. We could test the Because that might require more of his, effort on of, my part. It, it would. It would. Um the softball team has been playing really well. I ran into Lonnie uh, before the season started in the elevator at the Moore Center. Uh, she recognized me. Thanks for clarifying it wasn't with your enclave. No. Or- <laughs> and she recognized me. And, and when she introduced herself, I knew immediately she, who, who she is. Um, you know, I'm old school. I go all the way back to Joanne, uh, who the field is named after. You know, Joanne and her group won a national championship. In Two softball. of them. Two of them in 81 and 82. And, uh, and it was soft, slow pitch then. It was right when they were converting in the mid-'80s over to fast pitch. Uh, And obviously what Lonnie's been able to do, and Tim referenced it, uh, four consecutive regular season championships, you know, to go 43-5 and or 44-5, and whatever it is, I mean, that is a – unbelievable re- unbelievably remarkable record i mean what what would we be saying right now if if florida state was 39 and 4 instead of baseball. 29 and 14 i mean think about what we would be saying about this right. little club right well that's what the softball team has been doing consecutive years uh it's pretty remarkable yeah it is it is and uh you know i mean to be frank there's from a parody standpoint there's probably more good teams on the men's side uh, than the women's side but that that number shrinks a little bit every year and and you're right joanne you know fsu for a long time 
uh, was it in softball, really, in terms of being a power, and it would go out to the World Series, and everybody was from out west. And now it's it's there's a lot a lot of West Coast teams that are very very good, but the East Coast is infiltrated, and the playing field has been balanced a little bit more. Um, just a couple more minutes here. We've we've uh, talked football, we've talked baseball. Is there anything you need to get off your chest? Is there anything else we've? Well, I mean, the, 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 we'll talk more about this as, as uh, October, November rolls around. But XRM is, uh, you know, withdrawn from consideration. Uh, what that translated means is he didn't get invited to the combine. Only seventy kids were invited to the NBA combine for underclassmen, and he was not one, going to be one of them. And therefore, he's coming back. And and then that begs a question: we could spend a couple of three shows on, you know, what does Florida State do with X? Uh, Xavier Raton Mays relative to their program and and the only logical answer and Tom and and uh, our good friend uh, Jeff have talked about it uh, already this week is you got to move him to the two and you may even move him out of starter maybe make him a six man coming off the bench to score some points uh, because I just don't think he is an ACC point guard so you ask me a question I'll ramble and give you that quick response well and then uh, going uh Casting a wider net than just FSU uh, at the NCAA level, one of the things they did is they uh, related to the satellite camps, which went away for about eight days, and everybody complained so hard that they're. I don't back. think anybody canceled any. Whatever was scheduled, they just said, "Let's wait and see." Don't cancel that. Wait well, and see. I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, Jim Harbaugh was in the middle of that, and he took a shot, poked some fun at Kirby Smart at Georgia at somewhere, and Kirby poked back, or I forget the history of it. Anyway, now that they're legal again, those two are teaming up to do a camp together, which is just hilarious about this. Well, and you, you haven't asked me my opinion, but I'm going to offer it for you and our Can listeners anyway. Can I ask anyway. your opinion, and, and could you offer it to me? One of the arguments that was made right after the lower council voted to not allow them before it went up to the bigger council, I don't know what their technical names are, all the pundits on radio and, and some on television were talking about it, it was going to be so disadvantageous to – the, the athlete, the kids are the ones that were being harmed. Well, that's BS. The only reason they hold these camps is because they've got somebody targeted that they want to go talk to. They don't give a rat's ass about anybody else that shows up to this camp. It's a one in a thousand or one in 10,000 chance that some kid that's not on somebody's radar gets on a radar on one of these camps. It's not about the kids. It's entirely about recruiting. We start this with two minutes to go in the segment, and you're going to get this fired up. You have not dropped a rat's ass on this show, I don't think, if memory serves. I'm just saying. And you started, yeah, Thomas, is that, are we allowed to say that, or did we have to hit the dump button? I'm not familiar with you're allowed to say that. Okay, we can say that. Um, I do think that one thing, it's easy to play the good for student athletes card. One thing that I haven't seen anybody talk about is that it is a huge networking thing for coaches. If you are coaching at lower level school and you have a chance to go work the camp of upper level school, you are now associated with upper level coaches who, when they get bigger jobs, can promote you and hire you to their staff. And so it is a big job fair in that sense. But is that helpful to the kids? No, it's not no, about no, the no, kids. No, 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 no. That's, that's my point. I'm and saying. And my echo of that point. Okay. Wow. Tom is going to get upset because we're not giving a rat's ass time about the time on the clock right now. We have to go to break. So we're going to do that. We'll come back, talk about uh, a new sport at Florida State and at the NCAA level. That is uh, beach volleyball. Florida State, if you're not aware, not only plays in this sport, is darn good and is the top seed in the first ever national championship tournament, which takes place this weekend. We'll talk to head coach Brooke Niles right after this. Yikes.
Welcome back to the front row. Tom and Keith with you, and we're excited to welcome the newest head coach at Florida State to our program who will be competing, her team will be, for a national championship uh, this weekend. If you're not aware, we're going to fill in some blanks and uh, educate you here about the sport of beach volleyball, which is now an NCAA sport, and FSU is competing, not just competing, but the top seed in the NCAA uh, tournament this weekend, and the head coach is Brooke Niles. Coach, thanks so much for taking a few minutes of uh, time today to join us. I know your team is traveling. Congratulations on the success uh, and, and setting the bar so high here in year one in Tallahassee. Thank you so much. I'm I'm excited to talk to you guys and kind of let everybody know what our sport's about. Yeah, and I I mentioned to you before we got on the air that this will probably be a broad-based interview. I mean, I think our our listening audience is familiar with beach volleyball from seeing it in the Olympics uh, or on TV on the weekends over the years. Um but may not be aware that that it's uh, come to fruition here at the NCAA level in the last few years. Um, I guess kind of start there. This is the first year it's it's eligible for an NCAA competition. How many team schools needed to compete in it? How many are right now? Just kind of give us a little lay of the landscape, if you would. Yeah, I mean, right now um, we needed to hold at least fifty teams for two years to be considered a NCAA sport, and that right now we're at sixty three, and it's been the fastest growing college sport I think ever. Um, only eight out of the 63 make it into the NCAA tournament. So they take three from the East, three from the West, and two at large bids. So we knew uh, just to be able to compete, we had to be the top team in the East just to kind of make ourselves feel better about going into the tournament. And this is a very generic question, but I'm looking at the teams that are in the field, uh, you know, and there's a lot of West Coast flavor, obviously, with UCLA and mm-hmm. Pepperdine and Hawaii and Arizona. Without knowing who the 63 schools are, is it is it fair to say that the West is, is there's more good teams in the West than the East, or is that just a complete uh, errant assumption on my part? You know what? Um, I think uh, that's what people are used to thinking is you have to be in California to play beach volleyball. So I think that reflects a little bit in the rankings, and um, definitely there are some really top schools out in the West Coast. Um, we tried to do our schedule where we could play every top 10 team if we could, and we we've played most of them except for a few. Um, but our conference was really tough this year. I mean, LSU has gotten so much better. Um, South Carolina, Georgia state is in the top eight. Um, so the East coast is no slouch. And I think, um, us getting the one seed in the tournament has, um, just shown that the other schools really do respect, um, the East coast schools. And, um, I mean, there's tough competition everywhere. There's very few scholarships and a lot of girls trying to play beach volleyball in college now. So everybody's just getting more and more competitive. Brooke, KJ here. Two things jumped out at me in doing a little bit of research. Number one, while you did play a lot of top 10 teams, uh, I think our listeners would be very interested to know that your your regular season mark was 29-1. and one. Uh, You pretty yeah. much dominated. And it, it's also interesting, explain a little bit, that you don't technically play in the ACC. You're in the Coastal Collegiate Sports Association. How, how does that fit in and mold into the to what might happen going forward? Yeah, I mean, right now we're actually the only school in the ACC that has beach volleyball, so we couldn't have a conference of one, even though that's kind of what I was pushing for. But um, we decided all the good teams, top teams in the Southeast formed the CCSA. And, uh, you know, we're just waiting for those ACC schools to add it. And I think in the next couple of years, um, a few more will, and then we'll be back in the ACC. But, um, you know, right now for us, we wanted to get that conference because in two years, it's going to be an automatic qualifier into the NCAA tournament. So that's huge for our school and to get that sort of tournament feel before the tournament. You know, I've been around these parts long enough to recall that in the Joanne Graff years when FSU entered the ACC, there weren't enough schools that competed in softball. 
in the mm-hmm. ACC. And so there was a similar, I don't remember the name of the conference, but it was a similar thing. It involved USF and non-ACC schools. And from that pool, there would emerge somebody that was considered a champion that would get the automatic entry to the NCAA field, I guess. Um, well, well, tell us about the mechanics of it. Uh, I, I mean, these are, this is uh, teams of two, and I guess there's there's five teams that compete at a time. Just to explain that. It's best of three, I'm, I'm presuming, in each uh, on each court. Yes, you are correct. So um, it's doubles, beach ball. Anything on the beach is doubles. So Olympic level, professional level, and now collegiate level. So it's two people that cover the entire court. We take our best five teams, and we rank them one through five, and we play another school's best five teams one through five. And you do have to win three out of the five to win the duel. How much overlap, Coach, between what we would call indoor and, and now the beach? Can can the uh, participants play in both reasonably well, or or is it now become a, a sport of specialty? Yeah, I mean, each school tr- decides to do it a different way. Um, it's definitely an easy sport to add because you have that um, group of indoor players that can play beach volleyball in the spring when they're technically in their off-season. But at Florida State, I really think that's what sets us above some other schools because we're you know a top-15 school indoor and then um, the indoor coach and I have a really great working relationship. So we have a lot of crossover athletes. Um, so we have all Americans, you know, top 15 players in the country that come and um, they try out for our beach team and they make it and they're able to add um, a really great level of play to our team. And then we supplement, we have, you know, full scholarship beach players as well that bring a little bit more beach experience, but it's really been kind of a perfect uh perfect thing for us here at Florida state to take advantage of. Whereas, uh, you know, schools like USC or, um, UCLA a little bit, but they're kind of phasing out of indoor players playing both. I want to go back to what you said about, uh, the playing doubles and from the team side, is there, uh, not just from a school standpoint, but where your top, your number one team, do they, is there a draw for them as well? Like there is in say collegiate tennis where you have the team competition, but you also have, you know, like Ben Locke will compete for the NCAA singles championship this year and the top doubles team for FSU will be in a doubles draw as well. Or is it purely just the school and the team? competition uh this year now that it's an ncaa sport they decided to get rid of the pairs competition okay. so when it was an abca championship they did have a pairs um we don't have that right now but i think in another couple of years it will be similar to the tennis model where we would have a pairs competition in the fall and then spring would be our team competition brooke what do you hear from the the, the sister schools and the acc about them developing a similar program uh, you talked about uh, 63 teams, I believe, now are participating. Uh, what, what's going to happen at the conference level, would you predict, here uh, in the ACC? Yeah, I think in the next couple of years, maybe not even a handful of ACC schools will add it. Um, it is People are very budget conscious now, which I completely understand. So it is a cheaper sport to add, but it also adds more to your budget. But I've, hear, I've heard a couple grumblings about two or three ACC schools um, adding beach volleyball, which would only help us. Um, in competing and obviously the ACC is one of the top conferences in the country. So anything those schools do is going to be high level, which would really help our players and, and help our school. I, you know, I, 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 maybe I shouldn't ask this question, but we went through a couple years where this was called sand volleyball and then we brought mm-hmm. it back to beach volleyball. Was there a reason that we called it sand? Because not every, not every school's on the beach. Was that what that decision was? And then we said, Hey, everybody knows this sport is beach volleyball. Let's call it what it is. Yeah, and I think it ties into the Olympics a little bit, too. Um, beach volleyball is the biggest draw in the Olympics, um, and it sells out as soon as the tickets are available, and you know it gets a lot of viewers on TV. So I think in an Olympic year and the collegiate athletes just putting more and more time into it, I think it just made sense to call it beach volleyball. I didn't understand it, though. I lived in California, and I didn't understand why they called it sand until I moved to Tallahassee, and I realized we're, I call it sand because we're not really on the beach. 
but we do have sand courts on campus. Um, but yeah, it makes sense with the Olympic year, I think, and it helps um, viewers kind of get involved and understand it a little bit more. Well, you mentioned the Olympics, and, and I want to bring up what is a really interesting uh, personal connection for you here uh, and, and a huge stage and opportunity. Your husband, uh, Nick Lucena, is actually uh, potentially in line to qualify, uh, you know, along with his partner, Phil Dahlhauser, for the Olympics this year. Um, and, and that alone uh, is a tremendous feat. But I, I find it even more striking that, that Nick went to FSU and didn't play organized volleyball at, at the collegiate level, if you will. I, and I'll let you fill in some blanks there and walk us through how he became good enough without playing, in my mind, at a highly organized level. But obviously there probably was club volleyball and lots of other things along the way. Yeah, and actually the same thing can be said for his partner. Phil did not play any um, organized volleyball before college. They both played at the club level, and then Nick actually played for a fraternity at FSU. Um, and for fun, uh, he wasn't the best player, but he's worked really, really hard and he's just super athletic. Um, so after college, they both moved to Myrtle beach, South Carolina and lived with a friend of theirs on the beach with their own beach court. And they just trained every single day. Um, and then eventually made the move out to California and they were each other's first partners about 10 years ago. So I actually think it's like, it's an interesting story and they've been best friends for ever, but, um, they decided to split up and play with different people. And Phil actually won a gold medal in Beijing with Todd Rogers. Um, and then now, you know, 10, 12 years later, they're back together, um, trying to compete and they're just the best friends and they really, you know, play for each other. And it's exciting to watch when I realize there's a point system and I guess the top two teams from the U S will go was when, you know, does the competition finish that you'll know for sure that, uh, that he's in, uh, I think it's the beginning of June this year. Um, and I should know these dates. Well, well, you're you're busy coaching your own team. We understand. (laughs) That's true. But I know there's four more events for qualification, and two of them are actually Grand Slams, which are double points and, um, you know, more prize money. So those are going to – it's probably going to come down to the Grand Slams for them. And all the American teams are really close in points. So um, if, you know, a team does really well in those, they can really set themselves above everybody else. Nick and Phil are gaining points. It's your top 12 finishes, and they only have 10 finishes right now. So for them – you know, they have a better chance right now because everybody else is trying to replace finishes, but it's still going to come down to those two major grand slams. So going back to, to your role at FSU, um, obviously you married a Florida State alum. Had you been to FSU before you accepted this job? Did you know, is he the one who put it on your radar? I mean, if you're from California, where again, the perception as an East Coast guy is that's where the best volleyball has been played. Uh, mm-hmm. What was the attraction? What was the lure? What did you know about FSU when you took the job? Yeah, I, he had actually taken me back for some football games, and we went to a couple of the national championship games for football. And, um, you know, I was familiar with the town, but not really. I'm a California girl born and raised on the beach. So um, it was a struggle for me to even think that I could live here. <laughs> but, um, you know, he has so much pride for the school. And the minute I sat on, I stood foot on campus for my interview, it really felt like home. And it felt like a great environment to be around. I mean, all the athletic programs here are top notch. And, I'm just around winners all the time and people that are working really hard. And that was very uh, inspiring for me. So I have loved every second here at Florida state. We, I can't imagine not being here. We, we do have a small beach out at the FSU reservation. You know, I don't yeah. think it's quite like the beaches in California. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, Brooke, if our listeners, uh, if you're successful, which we expect you to be, <clears throat> we'll have an opportunity to watch you on Sunday. The uh, championship is over this weekend. Uh, one o'clock on uh, TBS. Tell us, uh, tell us uh, a couple of your kids that we would want to pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, right now I think we have one of the best players in the country, and Jace Harden. Um, she plays at our one spot, 
And she actually had a medical redshirt last year. So she's come back. It's her fifth year. She's been on our team since the sport started in college. So she's seen it all, and she's very experienced. She's won um, an international medal in the under-19s World Championships, and uh, she's just so dynamic and explosive and has so much knowledge of the game. And um, our two team, Nina Pelletieri and Tori Paranagua, they're just ridiculous athletes. And some of the things these girls do on the sand, it's just nice that you can see it up close, and that's what I appreciate about our sport. So I think the fans will love it. Um, And all across the board, we have some really great um, players, so – we're expecting to do really well, and we need a lot of support to get help get us there. Yeah, well, I'd like to pencil in a, a weekend at the beach this weekend. You, you open up play against Stetson uh, Friday morning at, uh, well, 9 Central, but 10 a.m. Tallahassee time, I guess. Uh, one more question, we'll let you go, because this struck me when you were talking about uh, – your husband and his partner on the beach and how they've been best friends, but they played with other folks for a while. I'm wondering when, you know, when you're playing doubles like this, how long does it take until you really uh, realize that, that two players pair up together the best? In other words, can you see that uh, synergy right away? Or do you try a lot of combinations early on and say, let me try, try player a with player C over here and see what works best. How long does that take to determine? I mean, for Nick and Phil, um, Phil's the best player in the world, so he actually can play with anybody. Um, Nick, when they broke up with their partnership, he played with a bunch of different players, and he kind of found his rhythm, and he found a way to be a better partner for anyone he played with, and I think that's why he's successful. At the end of the year, he was actually the number one ranked player in the world in terms of points, but he had played with three different people last year. So I think that's just a testament to his skill and athleticism. For our team at FSU, it's been... um, a little bit of a challenge with that. We had some partnerships that on paper they looked amazing and then we'd try them out and it was awful. And then um, other partnerships that it just took a while to get them going. And um, But that's sort of the way I've chosen to coach is keep people together as long as I can so they can kind of work on that chemistry that you talk about. Um, and so far it's been successful. But there's always, we have so much depth on our team too that um, we can kind of move people around a little bit. And we, we train everybody kind of a similar way so they know what they're going to get when they play with somebody else. But, yeah, the World Tour, you kind of have to figure it out um, because it's, they don't allow for a lot of room to switch partners, you know. Makes sense. Coach, thanks uh, for taking a few minutes to join us. Uh, appreciate you uh, suffering through our ignorance on the sport, if you will, and, and bringing us up to speed and our <laughs> listeners on it. But we do wish you the best of luck. Uh, I think it's exciting that FSU has this program now, and I have no doubts that not only will FSU do well this weekend, but I think Florida State is going to carve a pretty nice niche in, in terms of being one of the premier, premier inaugural, programs in this sport. Inaugural national champion. That sounds good. <laughs> good I lu- like the way that sounds. <laughs> good luck to you, Coach. Thank you very much. Go Knowles. You bet. Brooke Niles, the uh, head coach uh, for the beach volleyball team at Florida State. Uh, interesting tip there. If you're playing with the best person in the world, then you tend to play okay. Well, two Note things. to self, if you can go find LeBron for your team or Curry, depending on uh, how you argue that or whatever. Well, two things. Number one, I, I've, I've had – you and I have actually televised the indoor volleyball game. Uh, that's how far down on the barrel Sunshine Network and Sun Sports had to get sometimes. Uh, the, the the indoor game – Not the sport, but you as the color analyst. Exactly. Okay, I just wanted to yes. clarify that exactly. real quick. I, thank you. That, that is a very explosive game – that, that has a lot of power, and, and, and whether it be men or women, uh, it, it's, it's a fun thing no, to it go is to. A fun, my kids love going yeah. to Tully Jim. The, vo- the yeah. beach volleyball, and she spoke to this, what little bit I do know about it, because I've, I've, I've watched some of it at the Olympic level as most you know, normal uh, fans. We, we just haven't seen the collegiate game, as she's mentioned. It's just now coming along, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I can only imagine the athleticism because 
in the indoor game, you've got a hard court. You've got good footing. In sand, all of us have been in sand, and, and I, there have been times when I've been at the beach when I was still trying to stay in shape. You'd run on the beach, and it's a much more difficult uh, surface to do anything athletically on. And, and these ladies are, are very, very gifted athletes in terms of their ability to, to work on that surface Aside from their ball striking skills and their t- ability to communicate, uh, it's a very, very interesting sport to watch that uh, our listeners ought to take the time, particularly if Florida State makes it to the final at 1 o'clock on Sunday. That, that'd be some good viewing for a little while. Yeah, and an opportunity to win a national championship. We wish them the best of luck. Thought we would take a few minutes to uh, enlighten Florida State fans uh, about the fact, uh, about the sport and about the fact Florida State's pretty doggone good in it already. Not that that should be a surprise. All right, we'll come back and uh, wrap up on this week's edition of the Front Row right after this. Welcome to the jungle, it gets worse here every day Learn to live like an animal in the jungle where we play If you gotta hunger for what you see Welcome back to the front row. Just a couple of minutes to wrap up. Thanks again to Brooke. Thank you for clarifying my comment, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was not saying that volleyball was way down on the totem pole. I was trying to make fun of myself in televising volleyball. Yes, and uh, and I would agree that they did go way down on the totem pole by having you come in to offer your analysis. Have you ever played volleyball? No. <laughs> there, and there you have it. The admission is out on the record. I've never played basketball either. <laughs> You might want to retract that statement, given where you currently sit next to Gene on a regular basis. I'm just saying. Well, I don't mean organized. I mean, I, at a company picnic, church. I've played horse. Played horse. All right. Well, if and when that becomes a sport that's televised on a regular basis, let's you will be back, the first name on the Let's get back to Coach. No, I appreciate – no, I, I was sincere when I said I appreciate her putting up with her ignorance because part of growing a new sport, frankly, I mean, she's somebody who's grown up in beach volleyball and knows all about it. And uh, some of that was generic in nature for the sake of our audience, but some of it was generic and broad-based uh, for our sake. Well, two things. Number one, she talks about the expense in bringing on a new program, but because it's such an inexpensive expense, a number of schools are looking at it. Prior to bringing on sand volleyball, which is now known as beach volleyball, you'll recall – before Dave Hart left, that Florida State was looking at establishing an equestrian program as an NCAA uh, sport because Florida also, State sat also at, crew at one point because Florida State sat at nineteen sports, ten men's sports and nine women's sports. They wanted to get to twenty because twenty is what gets factored into the Directors Cup. Uh, for your overall ranking each year. And so uh, this was brought on, and I think there will be a number of other schools that certainly should entertain it. But how neat, how neat to be the inaugural national champion of a sport. Well, we'll see if that's uh, what we can claim next week. Uh, at this time, we wish them the best of luck. Uh, we are finished uh, for this week. We'll do more damage uh, once again next week. And we'll see if KJ gets riled up at the end of segment, as you did today. Thankfully, his blood pressure medication kicked in, and we made it through the hour. I'll go with bat guano next time there you go he's keith i'm tom this is the front row have a great week everybody live from the dale earnhardt jr buick gmc cadillac studios in tallahassee's all saints district this is 97.9 espn radio wtsm woodville thomasville tallahassee